Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Counterthought, The Dangers of Identity Politics. And as a reminder, you can find me on my personal Counterthought page on Instagram at CounterthoughtCEO. You can visit the official Counterthought Instagram page at counter underscore thought and interact with us on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. Now, identity politics. Identity politics really took off as far as the popularity in the mainstream chit chat around the country three years ago, about three years ago, maybe four, uh, two to four years ago, we'll just say. So it's been kind of quiet, but it has been a part of our culture now for the past two, three, four years since we last, uh, since we first talked about it. So it's kind of been flying under the radar, but I wanted to bring it up because it is, there are two aspects of it. One is good. The other is bad. And we see that a lot, right? In our daily lives, there is the good and the bad. You can make good choices. You can make bad choices. You can have good consequences. You can have bad consequences. And just like with privilege, which I talk about in episode six, and I'll tie into a little bit later, there is good that can come from that and bad that can come from that. Well, that's the case here also with identity politics. There is good that can come from identity politics, and there's also bad that can come from identity politics. But since it's been a while, like I said, about two to four years since this was really the hot topic of conversation in our country, let me just give you a little bit of a refresher. So in case you are not familiar, identity politics is when groups of people that have that share something, whether it's their race, their religion, um, their sexuality, their gender, their ethnicity, or some form of identifying characteristic, it is when they want to promote themselves or their specific interests or their concerns. Now, like I said, there is good and bad. The argument for using identity politics for good would be like the civil rights movement. And you think of Martin Luther King Jr. What did he say? Martin Luther King Jr. wanted us to all have a shared belief and a shared identity as Americans. But he also highlighted that there have been at injustices for black Americans up through that point in time. So he drew this big circle in the middle for what he was specifically advocating for was civil rights, equal rights for everyone, for every American. And then around the edge, the perimeter of that circle was everyone else in America right? We are all Americans, but hey, let's come together as Americans and correct these injustices, prevent them from continuing moving forward. And he was successful in that with the Civil Rights Act. There have been some struggles or there have been struggles since then, and that is a completely different topic. But that is an example of the good of identity politics. He chose the identity of race and wanting to elevate everyone to the same level. One of his famous remarks from his uh, famous speech in Washington was judge, judge us not based on the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. 
that was that was one of the ultimate goals was not to look at one another and see each other by the color of our skin, not see each other by our religion, not see each other by our gender, our sex, any of those characteristics, but to see each other as Americans, as a fellow man, someone who is equal to me and everyone being equal to me. So that's the good. But then there's the bad. Like I said, there's there's two sides to every coin. There is good and there is bad. Now, the bad that comes from identity politics is when you are using identity politics to elevate yourself based on a characteristic or a prejudice while pushing down and minimizing everyone else. And now while I was researching for this, this episode, I came across this debate on intelligence squared. And within that debate, if I remember correctly, the example that was given for this quote, bad method or the danger of identity politics is the enemy, the common enemy, which states an example of me versus my brother, me and my brother versus my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin versus someone else. Now you may be thinking, okay, the common enemy method, like, okay, can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So me versus my brother, let's say that me, and I'll be me in this example, me, let's say my two characteristics that I'm identifying with is that I am gay and a poor or three is gay and a poor minority. Now me versus my brother, my brother is not gay, but he is a poor minority. So I have one more characteristic, right? One more maybe injustice or prejudice that I have experienced against me. So me versus my brother, I win. But if me and my brother join together to go against the cousin, then the cousin is not gay, is not poor, just a minority. And then if my brother, me and my cousin or our cousin, once to get together and join forces against a total stranger, well, who is that stranger? That stranger can't be gay, can't be a minority, can't be poor. Those would be shared characteristics. So that stranger, and this is like an absolute or one extreme of this bad method, that stranger would be left as white. Because again, can't be a minority. And what is the dominant race in the United States of America? White. Can you see where that danger lies? Me versus my brother, me and my brother versus my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin versus a stranger. It is this inverted totem pole, this inverted hierarchy that, um, that promotes the person who has suffered the most, who has maybe experienced the most prejudice, or maybe hasn't even experienced anything, but just has more characteristics that they choose to identify by more, um, minority, not minority as in race, but minority as in, you know, prevalence, more of those characteristics versus someone else. And from that comes power. And a side effect of this is that people get so addicted to that power 
so addicted to that power because you've seen today, and maybe you've experienced this, where you feel like you can't say something because when you're trying to talk to another person or another group, you feel like, oh, well, they're not going to listen to me. Or if I speak up, they're going to shut me down because they're going to say, what do you know? You are this and that. We are this, that, and the other thing. We know more, or we have been oppressed more, or we have um, been prejudiced against more. We have been a victim more than you. So you can just sit down and shut up. We've seen examples of that on the news. You've probably seen examples of that maybe in your, in your daily life. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Or maybe you've been the one who's done that to someone else. So we have the good, thinking of Martin Luther King, where let's all come together as Americans, but then let's recognize that we need to elevate other groups within the collective America. And then you have the bad, which focuses on the prejudices, the wrongs, the victim, the victimhood. And the more of those that you have, you're stacking them up. And the more you have, the higher you are on that totem pole. And because others are fearful of the backlash of maybe speaking truth to these individuals or these groups on the totem pole, power comes from that. Now, this parad there's a paradox here, right? So you want to elevate the group that you are a part of or those who are in your group with the same characteristics to be on the same playing field or above those who have ultimate privilege, who maybe haven't suffered any prejudice or you in your mind cannot be a victim. But in order to do that with the power that you've gained, you always have to hold on to that prejudice you will always then have to identify yourself as being a victim instead of shedding that skin and not seeing yourself as a victim. Instead of when you should shed that skin and instead say, hey, I want to be seen by some other characteristic. I want to be seen by things that I do, things that, by, by things that I say, by my interests by my hobbies, you know, what I like to read, what I like to listen to, what activities I like to do, you know, as hobbies, what I do for work. Instead of these characteristics, especially like race, you can't control that. That is what you are born with. So the paradox is that you gain power from a prejudice that you've experienced and you are a victim and you want to be seen as the same level or above others as like a way to uh, rectify the wrongs that you have experienced, but you're never truly free because in order to have that power, you have to hold on to that very prejudice that you are complaining about that you think needs to be fixed. Now, we are supposed to have been over the last almost 60 years now since the civil rights movement, <clears throat> we are supposed to have been moving away from identifying ourselves as these characteristics, right? We are supposed to have been moving towards seeing each other by the um, content of our character, not the color of our skin. But with the rise of this 
identity politics in the negative sense that I've just been describing this, this victimhood, this, um, this mentality, we are moving backwards, you could say. I don't know if we're going maybe one step forward and now two steps back. Maybe we're not even taking a step forward. But there is a, a collective within our larger society as America that embraces the bad of identity politics. And what is this ultimate danger? Instead of advancing forward, like what Martin Luther King Jr. strived to do, and becoming more inclusive, the bad of identity politics is not about being inclusive. It results in division by being divisive. And just think of the negative effects that that can have on our country. Our country gets, one way it gets its power is through a collective a collective identification as, let's say, Americans and being proud in that. But if there's too much division and I'm not seen as an American or I don't see someone else as an American, then we collectively cannot be a strong America. And again, it comes back to this power that comes from this division. Everyone is becomes self-serving. They want to elevate themselves to correct a wrong that they've experienced or maybe haven't experienced and just want to get the power. Like for example, maybe you were, maybe you are a minority, but you didn't experience prejudice growing up. Maybe you came from a very affluent family, but you're like, Hey, you know, I like, I like the power that this group gets, you know, by claiming the prejudice that they've experienced or, you know, being a victim in some form. So, Hey, I'm a minority. I'm going to capitalize on this. And that happens a lot. Don't act like it doesn't, but we need to move away from this division, this divisiveness and find this common good, this common identification and being proud to be an American and then identify where we can improve the lives of the groups who have been discriminated against, who have been wronged, but doing that while at the same time working towards the bigger goal of being a unified country and not pushing others down in order so that we can come up. Now, in one of these debates that I, that I watched, a question was asked by the audience. <clears throat> Again, I think it, it was the intelligence squared, which was from uh, three or four years ago. One of the questions that came from an audience member was, whether or not, or how fast should we expect these, these changes to take place, right? If we are trying to, to correct a wrong and bring everyone up to, to being equal, how long can that take? And the answer that was given, I believe it was by Lionel Shriver was that it's not going to be instantaneous, right? The social things that have to happen socially a change in society takes years, decades, as we've seen, right? We, the Emancipation Proclamation to the Civil Rights Movement was 100 years. Civil Rights Movement to today is 60 years. It takes time. But one of the things that we fall victim to as a, as a society 
and with this identity politics to correct these wrongs is trying to do it instantaneously to try to say, Hey, we're going to just all of a sudden do X to elevate this group. And we don't care about the consequences or that the, the trickle down effect of that change. We just don't care about it. And that, and that is change that is dangerous. You could see that, or you can make the argument that that is occurring at maybe some, some uh, companies that are really focused on diversity and inclusion. Like, are they just focusing on elevating and bringing in a certain number of employees to, to meet this diversity quota? And in doing so, are they um, being prejudiced against other groups, other candidates that are already employed at the company or maybe external candidates for a position? Like that's a danger, right? I talked about this in, in my last episode. You know, discrimination, discrimination can happen if you are trying to quickly meet a quota of diversity. Societal changes take time. I'm not saying 60 years, like from the civil rights movement is, is acceptable, but it does take time. And when we have these knee jerk reactions, we are not always achieving good. We are, we can also be causing harm or at least not moving forward. We're either staying stagnant or taking a step back. One argument also in that debate that I watched was that those who are using the, taking the negative, the bad method of identity politics are narcissists, that they are narcissists because narcissism is a selfishness involving a sense of entitlement and a lack of empathy and a need for admiration. Narcissism says, Hey, I'm more important than those people. It's going to be about me. And whatever happens to those people, I don't care. I'm going to be, for lack of a better term, selfish to elevate myself, my group, so that we can be on the same pl playing field at the, the top of what would be a correctly oriented totem pole. You know, I want to be treated with, with no prejudice. So in order to do that, I need to focus on me and my group, people with shared characteristics, to bring us up to the highest level. So that was one argument that the bad of identity politics is just narcissism or a form of narcissism. Being self-serving, focusing on your, on yourself, selfishness, a sense of entitlement that, Hey, I deserve to be up here and not here or not down here. And you are not empathetic to the other groups that, it, that any kind of change affects. Now, people who have experienced prejudice, or maybe they haven't, but they're jumping in again with this power, this collective power that, that comes from having, uh, being seen as a victim in some way, shape or form. And that is disingenuous. That is just stoking the fire. The example I gave, remember was let's say you're a minority, but you, you came from an affluent family, but you see the power that, that comes from using your characteristics and in, in a bad way within identity politics. And then you decide you want to be involved in that because maybe you're getting more power in that way than you are from just your, your, your life. 
that you are currently living. And that's disingenuous and that does no good. Those individuals, I feel like those individuals, I feel like are just playing the system, which is even worse, right? If you're going to have a totem pole as within, within the bad method of identity politics, that would be, that would be the worst. You are just manufacturing something that is false in order to gain from it. So again, to me, in my opinion, the primary danger of this bad method of identity politics is the division that it causes. We today, if you look across this country, if you pay attention to the news and what's happening day in and day out, especially the national news, there's so much division. Now we have always had division within our country, but we've also tried to always repair it. But now it seems like there is a purposeful division in this country to break this country down in the name of power or for the sake of power. So we need to get back within identity politics. We need to get back to the good method where we share this collective identity as Americans and not see each other as just collective groups based on our characteristics on this inverted totem pole. And my question for you is this, how can you ever experience true equality when you refuse to see yourself as equal to others?